0: Welcome to the Poe Politicking Show, created in 2008. Poe Politicking is a hip-hop meets self-help brand. With each conversation, we teach the babies and share success secrets with you, the listener. Our focus is to preserve the hip-hop culture and introduce the future upcoming stars. Past guests of the Poe Politicking Show include Yo Gotti, Megan Thee Stallion, Baby, Currency, MC Light, J Prince, dead press razz and more subscribe on apple podcast to get automatic updates of each episode keep politicking with poe on social media at poe visit our website popoliticking.com for more exclusive content
1: all right welcome
0: back to popoliticking.com your home for self-help meets hip-hop right now i'm with my friend my um, gym buddy He's a community leader out here in San Diego, so I wanted to have him on the show and talk to him, share his story. Name's Tim Ware. How you doing?
1: Hey, Chris, man, I'm excellent, but I'll get better. I, I appreciate uh, you reaching out to me and being persistent, because, you know, we've been trying to do this for the last couple of years, and uh, really, I like what you guys are doing here, uh, keeping that voice out there and letting people uh, speak what's on their mind and on their heart. So thank you for for having me. Looking forward to it. Well, I think I've been knowing you for like. About six, five, six years now. Yeah, man, we we've been um hanging out in that gym. It's funny because it it, it you know we talk about fitness, and I really don't like being in the gym. As you probably kind of see, I when I get in there, I do get what out. I need to do and get yeah and get out. Yeah, so but you gotta be gotta stay fit, man. Gotta stay fit and, he- and healthy. Well,
0: hey, so uh, what's, what's your hometown?
1: Well, as they say, Chris, I'm straight out of Compton. I'm straight out of hey. Compton. Yeah, I um. Was raised in Compton, California, Um, and, uh, man, learned a lot growing up there. Uh, I know a lot of people nowadays, they hear the city of Compton, they probably think about hip-hop and all those different things. And yes, without a doubt, the the hip-hop piece growing up, when I was growing up, obviously wasn't there yet, and there was some, some tough lessons. But, you know, my experience in growing up in Compton is not what you would think. You know, you know, a lot of people think about the gangs and the drugs and, and the hard life and this and that, and maybe some chaos. But, you know, some of those things in some areas were, happen, were happening when I was growing up, but not on my block. Mm. And I like to tell people that uh, on my block um, and in my home, we had some adults that were saying, yes, all those things are going on around us, but it's not going to happen here. And so we had, you know, it was it was a very unique situation. We had uh, t- two parent families on our street for the most part, and Dad was intact. and, and they were laying down the gauntlet that, um, you know, you, you know, you know, if you got out of hand, for example, if I got out of hand down the street with Mr. Johnson, Mr. Johnson would spank me,
0: mm-hmm. and Mr.
1: Johnson would grab me by the collar and take me home, and my mom would thank Mr. Johnson for bringing me home and seeing what I did and correcting it, and then my mom would spank me. Because Mr. Johnson had to spank me. And so it, it was a continuity on that block. And, um, you know, that those things, those negative things that were happening around us in the city wasn't happening there because those parents were there. And those, Chris, are the, are the values that I took with me growing up. And those are the values that I think we, we definitely need to get back to.
0: I say, you missed out a part. And then when the dad get home, the dad can get you too. Because the mom had to get you and the neighbor had to get you.
1: <laughs> well, I, you know what's Chris, it's funny you say that because for my friends, that was the truth. But for me, it wasn't because I grew up with a single parent, with, a, with okay. my mom. So from, a, from, from that situation, you would say, you know, growing up in Compton, growing up with things going on like that and growing up with a single parent, that I, I, I lived a dysfunctional life which, in fact it was it was anything from the, from the furthest from the truth in that situation because my mom was instilling those biblical principles and uh, not only that, that that those standards that I mentioned that on that block it started in my home and so um, I'm, I'm thankful for growing up in Compton. I'm thankful for the people that were in my lives I'm thankful for for a gentleman by the name of Mr. Fred Whitlow who was my fifth and sixth grade teacher. And those standards that my mom instilled in us, when I got to school, Mr. Whitlow was continuing those standards. So when I got to the point to where when I was in college and playing college football at USC and we got a chance to, to play in the Rose Bowl, the 1985 Rose Bowl, guess who was the first person on my list that I'd invited to come to that game? It was mm-hmm. Mr. Fred Whitlow, my fifth and sixth grade teacher.
0: Mm. I was going to ask you, too. You said Compton. Um, I saw this piece on
1: Compton where they got a lot of cowboys out
0: there. Did you grow up with that?
1: Well, we always had uh, growing up. We always had a sound. As weird as it sound. horses, a certain part of, of Compton, there were cowboys and people horseback riding. I grew up horseback riding. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, you know, you're riding horses and you're in the city. But that was, it was kind of a weird type of situation. I love uh, uh, horses. I love the wilderness because yeah, I grew up uh, every summer for the most part going to Yosemite. Um, I continue that. It's funny. I continue those summer trips to Yosemite. Uh, if you want to know where Tim I where, where was during his college uh, playing days and his professional pl- uh, playing days, if you want to know where I was a week before training camp started, all you had to do was go up to Yosemite. You find me. <laughs> You'd find me up there uh, getting ready for the season, but letting my body relax and enjoying the wilderness. Uh, That's what we did.
0: What would you like about going to Yosemite?
1: Man, you can have such a great time in the wilderness, exploring, hiking, uh, seeing wildlife. And you can do it for uh, really a very inexpensive price, price tag. And uh, I I praise God that my mom was able to see that and have that vision and expose us to that. Uh, Because at that time you didn't you didn't see uh, when we went there you didn't see a lot of African Americans up there uh, during during those days, and so we were there and we were enjoying it uh, really enjoy still wildlife fishing and hunting and I don't know hunting but I I enjoy the thought of that 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 process and being out there Uh, man that's still one of my favorite places is Yosemite and Sequoia National Park.
0: And Then you you was mentioning your mom so. I just wanted you to talk about some of the principles she taught you, because, you know, like you said, you was a single, sing, she was a single parent, but she she did something right. She got you in college. So what were some of the principles that she, she taught you?
1: Well, I, I think my, my mom, without a doubt, um, she she told my, myself and my two sisters early in life that um, first, you can do whatever you want to do uh, in life. And yes, you have different um situations different challenges from from an ethnic standpoint from a, um, uh, uh, a religion standpoint from uh, you know all the different things you talk about from a racial standpoint but she had taught us to embrace uh diversity to uh respect people from all different walks of life because god uh has blessed a lot of people on all kind of different backgrounds and you're one of them. And so you go out and make your, your mark in life and respecting people, following those biblical principles, you know, keeping Jesus Christ at the center of your relationship and uh, your life and uh, living to those standards is going to be a challenge because the world is gonna not gonna want you to live by those standards. As a matter of fact, the world is gonna do things as we see that goes totally against God's word, but you stand on God's principles, and that's what I try to do. That's what I we, my wife and I tried to instill in our and our kids as they were growing up as well, for those for that time we had with them until they went off to of college. But we wanted to make sure we felt pretty good that when they left and went off to of college, that a strong biblical uh, uh, foundation was planted and, and put in place for them. Now they may go out and make uh, poor decisions, but they won't be able to say they made those poor decisions because they didn't know better uh, and didn't learn it from the what to do or the right thing from their mom and dad.
0: Hmm. And then, how do you remember your uh, college experience?
1: Well, my college experience is is, is interesting. You, you mentioned that because um, we, you know, I was really the first in my in my family not to go to college, but to go to go to college on a, a, a scholarship. And so, we didn't know about all the things that until. Uh, going and playing major college football. My mom, I, I didn't know about it because no one had, had done it. We didn't know the benefits that would come about it. We really definitely didn't know the benefits of going to college in general, but uh, a college like USC, uh, where you have a strong alumni presence. And I continued to benefit you know, from that presence. I graduated in 85. And still, as a matter of fact, I was with my guys um, that I played with last weekend we had a function. And so that strong um, uh, alumni presence, man, you, when I go places and you go to these these big-time businesses, these CEOs around the world, really, um, a lot of times you, well, many times you go in and you get to the top of those organizations, there's a Trojan up there. Mm-hmm. And now uh, you start talking about USC and what it means uh, to be a Trojan and all those different things. So I've really... Relish and, and really uh, took advantage of that time, those four years, were some of the best four years of my life. As a matter of fact, I, I met my wife there, uh, Debbie, as, as we're 18-year-old freshmen. And so we met there and uh, praise God for her and, uh, and how she has, uh, the things that, that Tim Ware is able to go and do, he was outgoing doing those things because he knew that the, the family at, at home, the house was solid with a God-fearing wife there. And so um, and I thank God for her every day and how, you know, how it all started with us and, and growing and doing that and, and meeting all those different people from a variety of backgrounds. On our campus at USC, it's, it is truly an international campus. You have people on that campus from all over the world. Um, and you get a chance to meet those people and interact with those people. And you find out uh, early in, in life that everybody's here and they have this. You all have the same opportunity. Yeah, the skin color may be different, this and that. But if you focus in on, on that, you will miss out. Not ignoring it, but realizing that no, nope, you know, I, you know. It took me a while. It took me a while. It took me a whole year to figure out if I could if I could uh, excel from an academic standpoint in that environment. You know, coming from Compton coming from that environment from an academic standpoint, it took me a whole year to realize that yes, I could. I can, I can um, not only uh, hang, as they say, in this environment, I can excel. And it took me, um, <laughs> it took me a half of a practice to realize that not only can I excel here from a, a football standpoint, and I, uh, but I can excel here as well. Uh, big time challenge, love that experience, love the competition. You know, We came into that environment at USC, as a freshman, we were the number one team in the country. You know, as a freshman, we had Marcus Allen, who was a senior, uh, running for the Heisman. So I got a chance to see all of that and experience all that, and and be a part of what big time college football was all about.
0: Yeah, I would be running to his parents a lot.
1: Oh yeah, Red, Mr. Red, you see him, huh?
0: Yeah, they they uh, he comes to the VA, so I see him at the VA a lot. Him okay. And-
1: Okay, yeah, Marcus. Yeah, Marcus was one of those hall of, hall of famers we were talking about earlier, that came on our our interview and our Bible study to shout out, give a shout out to Gil Bird. Marcus was one of those those guys that came on.
0: I was gonna ask you, did you ever uh, since USC, you ever uh, met OJ?
1: Oh yeah. A lot oh of yeah. Time. Yeah, back you know back in that day, you know, obviously just before all that stuff happened. Um, OJ, well, you know, Marcus and OJ were. And you couldn't separate those guys. Marcus was Marcus was really one to do everything that OJ was doing, and so and Mark OJ was what we call the closer, especially for running backs. When whenever they're doing the recruiting, and we recruit running backs on that last day, they always bring in OJ to seal the deal and meet those meet the recruits and and uh, he'll give them his spiel and what it means to be a Trojan back then. So yeah, oh, oh, without a doubt, he was always around, and that's what you get. When you're at USC, you get the, the the alumni. They come back, you know, the, the Ronnie Lots and and all those the, the Roy, Roy Fosters and the Bruce Matthews and Don Molesbars and all those running backs and uh, and, and and you know that when, when when Junior was alive, the Seals and all those guys. It's a big family, and you really see that Rodney Peets, all those guys.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about Junior Seals because you know he's from Oceanside as well.
1: Yeah, Junior. Uh, I think Junior was six years behind me. I think that that's the number, and uh, so we uh, got a chance to me living in Oceanside and him from Oceanside. Obviously, during the time he was here, we got a chance to uh, to, to bond and had that in common. You know, you think about a guy that went to USC, played for the Chargers. Um, you know, that was that was a traumatic, obvious experience for say our family losing that that warrior, that a special man in their life. But I remember that day. That when that happened because my mom uh all she heard she heard the information on the radio and all she heard was a former USC Trojan and a former Charger died and so she, mm. she was thinking she was thinking oh, about her yeah. son yeah, yeah she was thinking about her son so that was a very uh, traumatic time during that time mm.
0: and then what was your what was your playing style
1: my playing style um <laughs> uh growing up you know as a kid I want to be Lynn Swan. Okay. I, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers were my team growing up because of Lynn Swan and John Stalworth. And obviously during that time they were winning those Super Bowls. And, and Lynn Swan, it's funny, you know, he's a Trojan as well. And I got the chance to to meet Lynn Swan. As a matter of fact, he came and, and practiced with us uh, my sophomore year. And I, I remember how much I really wanted to emulate him as a, as a player uh that I remember getting interviewed as a freshman at USC and they said like you're saying who do who do you pattern your game who do you want to be like I said well I want to be like Spider-Man and Lynn Swan because they're both high flyers (laughs) (laughs) I can't remember I can't believe I said that but I said that back in the day but the guy uh you know he had a lot going on great footwork great body control and um wasn't blazing fast. I had at more speed than him, but just a playmaker. And, um, and when you when you go to USC, the first thing they tell you is um, UCLA. They are tenants of the Rose Bowl, but we own the Rose Bowl. Is what they tell us. Mm. So you get instilled when you go there that we are a championship organization. Championship, college championship, people on and off the field, academically, we're leaders as well, and so uh, you know you kind of get into that mold, that mindset, and you get there with a bunch of people with the same uh, uh, like-mindedness, and you are excelling, trying to excel to be the best. And, you know, we at that time you get guys, you get, you know, we get six first rounders, five, four, five, six first rounders a year during that time. That that was par for the course, and so you just took that for granted. And continue next year who's who's up next kind of like what you see now at Alabama that's that's how it was back then and so um but you know at that time you know we had some things going on my for my sophomore and junior year we were on probation mm-hmm. uh, because of things that happened before we got there but uh praise God I got a chance to to play in the, in the fiesta ball as a freshman and then we played as a senior uh, in the Rose Bowl and beat the Ohio State Buckeyes. Y'all
0: yeah, going to say, who, who was your coach back
1: then? Only Robinson. Uh, coach, Yeah, Coach Robinson was our coach, my freshman and sophomore year. And uh, then he left and went to the Rams. Mm. And uh, we had Coach uh, Ted Tolner was my junior and senior year. Um, a coach, he was also on the staff as an offensive coordinator um, when Coach Robinson was there.
0: Let me say, I know you, uh, so how you feel about the, you know, now in college, they got the sponsorship deals.
1: Well, you know, that, that was a, man, that was a long time coming. That was a Uh long time coming. You know, um, these, these universities, especially the big time, uh, programs in football and basketball, they make a lot of money, Chris, a lot of money. And they are making that a lot of money on the backs of those players. So it's been a, a long time coming for the players to kind of get in there and get, get a get a share of the pot. Uh, but I am concerned on, on what it's going to do with the product that we put on the field. I'm concerned on what it's going to do to the young men and women um, that are involved with that. And, and, you know, they see those dollar signs and it kind of take away, it has the, has the potential taking away from the team. You know, I'm always, all, all about the team process. And so, you know, that's that's a natural thing for young men, especially at that age, to be able to handle um, that situation where it's all about my image, it's all about my likeness, it's all about the money I'm going to get. And every move I do, uh, I'm, I'm going to chronicle it. And so uh, with the thought process that I'm going to make money doing this. And that definitely can affect the team. I, I definitely, unfortunately, um, see that happening in the future. And it's going to be up to those coaches to really, you know, uh, hone in to this process because it's going to happen. But
0: you know I'm saying, so if you are saying the schools make a lot of money, why can't they just give the kids some of that money instead of the kids? Instead of the, you know, why they can't just give them like, you know, surplus or whatever they get, a little you know, the extra. Give that to the kids instead of having the kids reach out for sponsorships.
1: That's a good question. That's a good question. Um, and right now as they say, the, the toothpaste is out of the tube and it, it's not going to be able to get back in there. But that's a great answer right there. Um, I don't know if they discussed that. It probably did come up. And if that did come up, they would have, that would be a better way to do it because then you, you can control it more. You can be able to say of a, a certain person, uh, i give you a good example is in the NFL. In the NFL, Tom Brady, for example, is getting paid his salary. He's making all that money he's making. He get a certain amount of money every week if he chooses to, right? For example, let's say if Tom Brady gets paid $80,000 a week, uh, you know, I don't know what, what he's doing. Once it comes to the playoff, all the players now get paid the same share. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some of them that may have some incentives in their contract that says if we go to playoff, I will get this additional. But the base salary in the playoffs are all the same. You know, for for example, everybody's gonna get eight thousand dollars for this week. Those guys, as they get into the playoffs, they're taking pay cuts. Because because mm. you know Tom Brady maybe I'm I'm used to getting eighty thousand dollars a week, and now I'm gonna only get 10 in the playoffs. But uh so I'm saying that was all across the board for every player. The 52 players are all gonna get eight thousand dollars for that playoff win in the wild card. They could have done that in, in college by saying, Okay, if you're division one you're going to get this much.
0: Mm-hmm. If you're in
1: Division 2 you're going to get this much across the board. So that that could have been done. Now, the way it is, the way I understand it now, it's going to lead to, look, I'm from an individual standpoint and I just, for, for example, the guys who, there's going to be a Heisman Trophy winner crowned today. Those four guys. Those guys, the way I'm understanding it, if they come back to college, they're going to be able to say, look, I, I, brought, well, I bring more to the program. Mm-hmm. So I should get more Going forward, that's how you know now guys are going to be jockeying for those kind of things. Mm.
0: So I would say. when you were in college, did you already know you was going to the NFL the whole time, or is like a surprise to you?
1: No, my um, you know, again, you get in that environment and you see guys that you play with um getting drafted. And I, I remember, you know, I remember Marcus Allen. You know, he won the Heisman. So obviously, you know, he's going to go to the pros. And then he he becomes the in the NFL he becomes the rookie of the year. And I'm like, man, I was just playing with this guy. Mm. I was just playing this guy. Now he's, he's the rookie of the year. He's going to the Super Bowl. And all these different things. You see that. So, yeah, you start thinking, okay, this guy is in the same locker room I'm in. Going to the same practices, I'm in the same office I'm in. If he can do it, I'll come. I can't do it. And then next year you see more guys going. So you get in tune in that, that this could be a reality for me. For myself, I was um, – it's a different story for me. Because I, I, came to, I came to USC, I was just excited. Now, I, I, I'm going to get a free education. We know it's not free because you're doing some sacrifices. You know? Yeah, yeah. but I, I want to get a free education uh, because of my athletic ability. And that was really for me. That was it. That's I, I want to do that and get that education. And then once I got there, then I started seeing all this. Like, man, Maybe I can parlay this until an NFL career. So you start kind of shifting and working towards that as well, and you, then you just want an opportunity, and uh, you get that opportunity and you, you can to show what you can do.
0: What did you uh, get your your degree in?
1: Well, I, you know, I came into college um, uh, uh, as an architect major. I wanted to be I wanted to be Mike Brady on the Brady Bunch, the dad. You know, he's oh. an architect, and I saw that. and I, I wanted to design houses and things like that. Then I realized that you know that major it's going to be tough to do what I need to do for that major and do the football thing commitment as well. So I I switched to uh, building safety management. Mm. And that was kind of the same thing. You can tell the kind of theme I was in the buildings and things like that. So I ended up with an urban and regional planning uh, degree. And that was, uh, you know, designing the cities and the planning that goes along with that, uh, with the traffic flow and all the different things you do for a city, never used it. Never Mm -hmm. used it because uh, when you get get into sports, college and professional sports, you have an opportunity to be a role model uh, to kids. And I fell in love with that that premise of being a role model for kids, even to this day, being out there, uh, attracting them to me because of the sport, because of the journey I, I have on, and then being able to give them what they really want, which is for me is everything's based on the biblical principles and having a dynamic and an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ but instilling in them what was instilled in me that they can go out and do all anything they want but they're going to have to have some discipline some determination uh, on that so I I enjoy to this day that was the motivating factor really to be to get into education is to be that role model for kids
0: now so what were you doing on draft night what draft night when you got drafted on oh, my drafted. draft night, mm-hmm. oh,
1: okay. My on my draft night prior to the draft, uh, at that time they had 12, 12 rounds, mm. I think it's eight wow. rounds now, 12 <laughs> rounds, right? Yeah. And there's some things that happened uh, because I, I had a real good junior year in college. Um, we had a, had a very good year, but we had a bad, I had a good year, we had a bad team year. Um, and then, um, my year, senior year, we went to the Rose Bowl. And so I, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited. Um, We just won the Rose Bowl. I got um, in my apartment, got a little money in my pocket, getting ready for the draft. And I felt at that time there was, you know, things looking up, but I had this empty spot in my heart Mm -hmm. and I, I contribute that empty spot in my heart uh, before that we couldn't, go to the Rose Bowl because we were on probation. But now here I am, got a Rose Bowl victory. I had a great, great game in the Rose Bowl, called a touchdown, everything's great. So that that you would think that empty hole was filled and it wasn't. And I had to come back because I had gotten off track with my at that time with my relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's when I rededicated my life to Christ, my senior year in college, and I've been walking with him ever since. But that led up to the draft night. Because at the time, I was told pretty much that I was going to get, I can go anywhere between the fourth round to the eighth round. And so, you know, like those other guys before me, I'm looking to get drafted. So I'm in my apartment the night before, and I wake up uh, in my apartment, didn't do the the draft day thing like a lot of guys were doing, sitting in my apartment in in college, and I'm waiting for the call. And I get a call by all... All the teams, guess who called me in this in the I think it was the, the second round? The Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm-hmm. And I'm <laughs> like, oh man, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they call me. Yeah. Well, yeah, Tim, we're we're calling you. We just want to make sure this is the right number for you. So I went up and came down. So I remember sitting there waiting for the call, waiting for the call. Fourth round comes around, no call. Fifth round, sixth round, eighth round, no call. And I said, forget it, man. My wife or girlfriend at that time, let's go play tennis. So we went out and played tennis. Mm. And long story short, I didn't get a call. I didn't get drafted. So what happens then, and it happens now, is once the draft is over, there's a frenzy for the teams to get free agents. So they start calling all these these guys who didn't get drafted, who they had their mind on, and they want to get them in there and give them a free agent contract. And that's what happened to me. And so I got I got a call among all among those teams. One of the teams were the San Diego Chargers. And so I looked at the San Diego Chargers. I looked at their offense at the time. The San Diego Chargers, the Air Coriel was the most prolific offense in the history of the game at that time, led yeah, by Dan Fouts, right? Dan Fouts, Kellen Winslow, Charlie Joyner, Wes Chandler. Man, I'm like, this is the offense. If I'm going to get a chance to show what I can do, this is the offense. Uh, so I, um, uh, I signed a contract with those guys, went down to their, their, uh, mini camp at that time, had a good mini camp. They signed me and I went down there and, uh, had a very good training camp. My first training camp, very good training camp, except I wasn't getting the ball in the preseason games. Like you need to, like I needed to as a free agent, a rookie free agent. And so I lasted to the last cut and, um, it was a numbers, a numbers thing, and so they cut me, and but they re-signed me because they knew, that's how close I was. They knew that this guy could play. So they re-signed me right away. So I went home, back home to Compton, and that was the first time in my life that I wasn't either working in football or in college, in school. So that was six months before, you know, training camp, the following training camp, I spent, and all I did was study the Bible and, and worked out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that you know, goes to that Luke two fifty two, 52 and the Bible it says, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor of God and men. So it's funny that scripture back then is a scripture that I hold fast to now, because I want to grow in all those four areas, f- areas, physically, spiritually, socially, and, uh, academically now as well, you know, mentally. And so that's, that's my, my thought process. When you see him in that gym, Working out, that's fulfilling that part, that physical part uh, that I need to feel feel to be around around it. But without a doubt, that foundation, as uh, as the scripture says in, in 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, had nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So without a doubt, that biblical foundation is first and foremost, but the physical piece goes along with it as well.
0: So were you uh so what did you think? Like I remember back in the day too. Uh I remember AC Green. Yeah. So were you yep. kind of was you uh you was kinda like that, like you didn't really get in any trouble in your career, nothing like that. Kind of thing. Oh
1: no, I wouldn't say that. Uh- <laughs> I'd say that, Chris. Chris, I would uh, not say that. Uh, you said that. Uh, no, I uh um no, man, I was, you know, doing college, my college years, man, I was, you know, I, you know we could, again, you're coming in there as a freshman, and you get caught up in your number one team in the in the country, and that whole university is about you, it's, you know, it's a lot going on, but football is key, is king on that on that campus, and you got, you got the number one team in the country, you got the eventual Heisman Trophy winner on your team, so the media is everywhere, and, and man, I'm, I'm, I'm getting caught up in major college football, to the point to where I forgot to study, Mm. I forgot to study, man, so I was on probation, I got on academic probation after my first semester in college, had Mm. to get that, had to get that situation right, but uh, no, and then um, I came into college, I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior as a junior in high school, but I wasn't walking with him, I got into college, I started doing things that was going against God's word and all the different things that some kids were get caught up to, caught up in, except for drugs, never got into drugs. That was never my thing. Uh, but, you know, doing the things that were, uh if you talk to my buddies, my college buddies, they would tell you, oh man, yeah, Tim Ware was a, he's, he's a morally good person. And I was, I was a morally good person. But if you compared my life to the standard because they were, they were comparing me to them <laughs> and I'm not comparing myself to them. I'm comparing myself we're called to compare ourselves to God's word right. and compared to God's word. I was filthy rags. Mm. So that's what I went through college years going back and forth. And that's what led to me receiving and rededicating my life as a Christian as a senior um, in, in college and then really truly walking with Christ. And so it's, it's been a, a great journey. It's been a journey that's filled with um, excitement, some setbacks, um, some, some positive influences on people right now is it, I'm excited in my life right now to live out my, my life's mission statement, which is to have the greatest effect on the greatest amount of people in the shortest amount of time that eventually leaves the people receiving Christ as their Lord and savior. So I'm in a position right now in an employment situation where I have a chance to do that and live out my life's mission statement, which is in this education piece and being in this education safety piece.
0: And I'll ask you, so what do you remember know about uh, the NFL? Like what memories you have that, like your top memories from when you're playing in the NFL?
1: Yeah, my top memories is, it's funny, but my, I, I met my my mentor, a guy to disciple me, Gil Bird. I met him, met him at really, as a sophomore in college. He's two years ahead of me and he was getting ready for the, the draft. And one of my um, teammates was also his year receiver, getting ready for the draft. I met those two guys at a Laker game at the old form in LA. Mm -hmm. And so introduced me to him. I was like, okay, no problem. Little did I know that I'm going to meet this guy two years later, three years later as a rookie in the NFL down at the San Diego Chargers. And that's when he started discipling me. He started pouring pouring his life into me. And so I learned about the ins and outs of the NFL, mainly from him. And watching a Christian him too. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Be a Christian too. Oh, yeah, a strong Christian. Okay. Yeah, he discipled me. And I got a chance to watch him and how he handled the media, how he handled things that are going on, because you know, there's a lot going on in the NFL that you know people obviously don't see. A lot of it comes out sometime. But you know, uh, that was for me is to see that living that lifestyle and seeing guys. And because now, now there's no there's no studying involved. Everything is just football. You know, you go to work, you get up and you go to work. Your work is eight hours, 10 hours. It was 10 hours of uh, football. And guys are making poor decisions off the field. And uh, sometimes, again, you, you hear about it. Uh, other times you don't. It could be drugs. It could be women. It could be all kind of different things. Yeah, I learned so many, so much things in life. I'll give you an example. <laughs> this by this time I was playing with the Raiders. And I remember um you know we were actually now now it's the LA Raiders. You know it's the LA Raiders so I played for the LA Raiders and not the Oakland Raiders. So I'm back playing with the LA Raiders. We're actually staying in the same hotel room we stayed in uh, when I was at USC. Cuz hmm. you know USC uh, you know plays in the Coliseum. The LA Raiders played in the Coliseum L.A. Coliseum as well. And I remember uh, being at the hotel the night before the game and seeing these scantily clad women in the lobby of the hotel. And and I'm thinking, okay, well, they're probably here. One of my teammates is going to probably get with these women or something like that. And so the next the following week, we fly out to New York City or something like that, and we're going to play the Jets or Giants or wherever we're going. And then I'm in the hotel in New York City, and I'm seeing the same scantily clad women <laughs> in that hotel room out there. It took me a while to realize that some of my teammates were flying these women around
0: everywhere they go. Yeah, everywhere
1: they go, because now their wives are not there, and this and that. That was one of the biggest things that I I saw, not just the Raiders, or, or but you know in, in the NFL in general, and I'm sure in sports in general was um, the adultery. And guys making those kind of poor decisions and uh, things that affect their families and uh, their kids. And so uh, praise God for Gil Bird. He's been that role model. Not, not a perfect guy. He would tell you in any means. As a matter of fact, his wife Marilyn would tell you that he means. But he was a, a guy that I will call a leader worth following. Mm-hmm. A guy that's built his life on biblical principles. And that's who I saw. That's the life that I tasted. And he would always tell me Tim uh, I want you to be God dependent and not man dependent because God because man will, will eventually fail, fail you and so he said if you see me uh, example was uh, I think it's um, was it first Corinthians 11 1 or second second Corinthians 11 1 says follow my example as I follow Christ he said if you if you see me get off track then you you stop following me okay? right but you you follow somebody, who's fallen, Christ. And so those those experiences, man, I, I, those experiences I treasured, uh, the good and the bad and the ugly in the NFL. And I still, as a matter of fact, tomorrow, this weekend is, is alumni weekend for the Chargers. So we all get together tomorrow at the game. They're, they're playing the Giants. We'll get the chance to see all of our guys and families, and we'll reminisce on what we talked about and what we did and all those different things. Excited about that. It's always a great time. Um, but yeah, there's a lot to learn about life in that env- environment. The first thing you find out and realize when you get to the NFL is that, and you've heard this, it's a business. Make no mistake, it's a business. That's why when people ask me, they say, so what did you like about uh, college, po- playing college and playing professional? I said, without a doubt, I'll take college any day. I love to this day watching college sports more than any, any professional sport. Uh, but it was just a, a just a magic of of college sports and I would really encourage anybody to get a chance to go to college in general, not even with sports just go there because it really helps you from a maturity standpoint not not to mention the education but the more importantly not the book knowledge but the social knowledge and experience that you get in that environment.
0: yeah I would say when you were talking about adultery, I remember when that stuff was going on with Kobe and he was kind of, uh, they was kind of saying the same thing. I guess, you know, he was so young and he saw everybody else doing it. So he think, you know, so I would say, I guess, if, like, if it's a young athlete, how do he, you know, stop from the peer pressure? You know, he's seeing everybody else doing it. So how did he stop from not doing that when everybody else around him? And like you said, they fine. You've seen them in every city. How do they stop that, fight that temptation?
1: Well, some, some, some guys don't want to fight it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Some may it's not a fight it's you know i mean I'm, I'm welcoming this and um you know but you know you 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 surround yourself with the right people uh you surround yourself and that's what i did you know yeah uh, your know, guild and there are other guys uh my buddy tom flick they had a lot of great guys that i was able to be around uh, during that time during my my tenure in the nfl then got over with the, the raiders and you know you got Tim Brown, there, solid guy. Um, you know, my buddy, my college roommate, roommate uh, Zeph Lee, uh, was at on the Raiders at that time. So I was able to again get around those guys who are solid people and making uh, great decisions. And um, that's that's you know, it's not just in sports; it's in life in general. Whether you're in business or you know what, what they say is you can tell a person's future by the people they're hanging out with today.
0: Uh, did you hang yeah,
1: out with, I did you, uh, did you, did you play with Bo Jackson? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah Bo Jackson, man, we were just last week. We were just talking about Bo. We're talking about Bo because without a doubt um, I work out with a guy right now. We have this here in San Diego. We have this, this program uh, held at the Exos gym. Mm-hmm. And when you see me at, at our gym and you don't see me the other days, I'm at the other gym working out with this probably about 10 in a former NFL guys. We wow. work out together. And uh, one, one of the guys there is there is Mike Haynes. He's a you know, hall of famer cornerback to play with the Raiders yeah. nicknamed the gentleman Raider, but he's there. And, and we were talking about Bo, and how, in my opinion, Bo is the most incredible athlete I've ever seen period in any sport. Period, the most incredible athlete I've ever seen. The the best football player I've ever seen play with was Marcus Allen. But the best athlete I've seen Bo do things personally in practice, being in a game, that is just unbelievable. That guy, you know, for him to be the size he was, and we all know about his, there's young, young people right now that's probably hearing this, they're like, Bo Jackson. Go, go, Google, Bo Jackson, <laughs> and you're gonna see the most incredible athlete ever. The guy to be as big as he was. I think Bo was like 240 or something like that. 230. I forget how big he was. He's big, big guy, and powerful. If someone were to tell me that Bo Jackson ran a 3.9 in the 40, in the 40 yard dash, and now, nowadays guys like man, even 4.3, 4.3. If they told me he ran 3.9 in the 40. I would believe it. That's how fast that guy was. I've seen some things. I've seen both. One, one, one day we day we're playing um, the Kansas City Chiefs in the Coliseum. And you know how NFL guys, football guys, we're macho. We're macho guys. We're going to do all these different things. I saw something happen that day that I never saw again. I saw the guys on the Kansas City Chiefs defense afraid to, to tackle him. Mm. they were afraid to tackle him because he was so bad. He was so big. He was so fast. And remember, Bo was coming from baseball. So he would come to the team, the football team, the Raiders, I think like like about the sixth or seventh game. So when he came to football, he wasn't in football shape. It took him about a month or so to really get in shape. So you can imagine if he didn't play baseball, if everything was football, he would definitely be. If he didn't, if he if he didn't get hurt, he would could, could be the only guy to, to be in both the football and the baseball Hall of Fame. Yeah. Now, now Deion Sanders is a stud athlete. You know, he did both of them as well. Prime Time is I have big time respect as an athlete for Prime Time, but Bo was a different cat. He's a different cat. Yeah, I guess Brian
0: Joy be getting mad because he said nobody be naming him. You remember Brian Jordan?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah he, he said he'd be getting missed out. He'd be getting mad.
1: Yeah, man. Um, uh, you know, you know play, so you think about it. At that time with the LA Raiders, i I had three Heisman. We had three Heisman Trophy winners on our team: we had Bo Jackson, Marcus Allen, and Tim Brown.
0: Mm. Tim was
1: Tim was young at that time. Tim, the Tim was like in his second year. Um, um, another Hall of Famer. But those guys, you know, being in that environment, you had three, three Heisman Trophy winners on your team, and uh, it was it was a very interesting time with the Raiders. Really enjoyed my time with them.
0: So, did you play with uh, Howie Long and Lao Lazado too?
1: Howie was on that team. Obviously, Lao had, had moved on. Okay, but Howie was on that team. <laughs> that guy is a character. Howie Long. Mm-hmm. Um, you see him on TV now. Very, very astute. Very in- intelligent. But very very funny guy, and so the, the Raiders, man, you know you I, I thank God for both of the experiences playing with both those organizations, uh, and the, both of them do a very good job in in taking care of the alumni of a team. But the Raiders, they take it to another level. They take at how they work with their alumni. The Raiders, they actually have five people, a team of people. And their major responsibility is to take care of the alumni. Mark Davis, who now know Al Davis's son, who's the owner now, when they moved to Vegas, he said that was his number one of his top priorities is to take care of the alumni. And we are very, very appreciative of that mindset and just that organization. Uh, the Chargers do a great job as well. Thankful for them and um, involved with doing, and they've helped me over the years here in San Diego, doing things with kids and, uh, being involved And They do a great job here. Uh, but, um, the Raiders from, a um, alumni standpoint, they do. uh, Unbelievable. Unbelievable.
0: Yeah. I'm going to tell you uh, one thing I like about Bo Jackson too, is cause, uh, I had a speech impediment. So I like how, um, like how he got over the speech impediment, like he's doing business now.
1: So I, I like that. Like even like,
0: like he, Football, what happened, sports happened. He turned to be a businessman. So I, I respect that, too, because he didn't just, you know, some people would just be like, oh, that's it. But he he's doing business now, so I like that about him.
1: Yeah, Bo, Bo was always about that as well, even during his time. He was a funny – he's another funny guy. No, He's even more funny when he's not trying to be funny. Hmm. Bo was – oh, yeah, I enjoyed him. He's a very good teammate. Um, so, you know, you, you know those guys – and you realize guys like a Bo Jackson, a Dan Fouts, a uh, Marcus Allen, you know, those guys will give you the shirt off of their back. Just very generous people. I, when I first I first made the team with the Chargers, you know I'm still I still had all my stuff in in in, in L.A. at USC. So I said to Dan Fouts, I said Dan, you know, well I I just said you know what I gotta I gotta move all my stuff and made a team. I gotta move all my stuff from L.A. Man, I'm excited. I gotta get me a way to get my stuff down here. And he just tossed his keys to me. He had a truck, just tossed his keys to me. Just like that. Here you go. Take the truck. And now, uh, you know, I was, man, I couldn't believe it, just how generous he was. Now the, the, the truck broke down on the freeway, but that wasn't the point. That wasn't the point. The point, the point was he was very generous and would give you uh, the, the shirt off his back. You know, I just, i man, I, I thank God for, I had, I had a lot of great teammates kellen winslow and uh west chandler you know charlie jones just, just just amazing people uh amazing players obviously but the people um you know miles mcpherson you know those guys here's a teammate too just guys just, just unbelievable um people in general so I, I thank god for those guys
0: all right and you was kind of talking about it earlier uh, let us know about life after football
1: Well, life after the football, you know, continue that that life mission statement to have the greatest effect on the greatest amount of people in the shortest amount of time, which eventually leads to people receiving Christ as their Lord and Savior. And what better way to do that is to have uh, an audience with kids in education. Mm -hmm. And so I've been doing school safety now here in San Diego for uh, 20 years before I went to my current position which is I'm the coordinator for school safety and security for the San Diego County Office of Education. And we support all of the 42 school districts here in our county and in my area, in the area of school safety. As you can imagine, there's a lot going on with that. You guys see the school shootings, the uh, horrific situation that has just happened in Michigan last week. All those things, that's what I do, as uh, uh, supporting, arming our... Uh, teachers and administrators um, about how to make how to maintain safe and orderly campuses, how to instill in our kids, because we we have a different, we have a different group of kids growing up nowadays. Um, Chris, we have what I call, not every, we have a lot of great kids out there, but we do have a certain segment that we we call the shameless culture. Uh, these are kids that are growing up in certain situations that they've been born they've been brought up the right way in many cases, but somehow they got off track. And not only did they get off track, they are, have been flipping the script. And they are some of these kids around the county, around the country that's going out creating and committing these heinous acts of crimes that we're seeing um, for the last 15 years or 20 years. And so the one thing I know about uh, active assailants, as we call them, not just active shooters, but active assailants, is they all have two things in common. First of all, they were, they were all somebody's kid and still somebody's kid. Second of all, they were somebody's student. And so in those two areas, at home and also at school, that's where kids spend the most of their time at. So what are they getting from us as parents? What are they getting from us as administrators? Hopefully, the only thing they're not getting is just algebra. We have Mm -hmm. to instill some, um, some biblical principles. And I'm not afraid to say that, that we need to get biblical principles back into school for sure. Uh, and because and, uh, when you talk about right and wrong, we're talking about biblical principles, although people don't want to call it that. But the facts are, we need to do that because that shameless culture is growing. We have this, um, uh, this thing we do because I do all the training as it relates to uh, building those, those campuses, uh, be it active shooting or threat assessment, all the different things that uh, identifying concerning behaviors, uh, I get a chance to work with kids and, and staff on letting them and encouraging them to, first of all, if you see something that's concerning, you know, it's unusual, report it. Don't wait. And so like we just had that situation in Michigan, we see the typical things that are happening now where people are saying, well, you know, I saw him, I thought, there was something strange about them and, but they don't say anything. You know, or you know what? He was making those ghost guns and, but they don't say anything. And so Those pieces we're trying to do, we have this big training right now that we're doing where we're training school resource officers, campus security, school psychologists, counselors, and assistant principals together because they all have a piece of the pie, but a lot of time they're not communicating with each other, so their gaps are happening. And that's what you're going to see. It's going to come out. It's already been leaking out of that situation in Michigan where there's certain things that should have been done by administrators and didn't. That's why you have... We're seeing a shift where you're going to start seeing school districts being sued like in Michigan. This, they're going to sue Michigan's school district for $100 million. And so being in education safety, man, I get a chance to to reach a lot of people in a shorter amount, short amount of time. And so that's what we're focusing on right now. We're trying to get uh, some of the, uh, uh, you mentioned the, the Chargers and the Raiders and all the other NFL, trying to get them to get behind this, this uh a uh, situation that we're building on that we're calling Not On My Watch. And that is, you know, as a responsible adult, a responsible kid, uh, wherever you sit, certain things are going to happen, but we want you to say, you're going to do all you can do to bring about a positive, safe culture that we're living here, be it in San Diego, be it in LA, wherever, that these things may happen, but they're not going to happen on my watch as a parent. My kid I'm taking care of my kids, okay? My kid's not gonna do these things. It's not gonna happen on my watch as a parent. Uh, if I get Chris, Chris uh, down the street and I see him doing something, I'm gonna report it. So that, that's what we're trying to do. And we're excited about that, not on my watch as uh, we try to get these other organizations and um, city officials. We wanna get law enforcement involved, uh, health and human services, the district attorney's office, the business sector and also the faith faith-based organizations and education involved to come together to put this thing together because this stuff is not gonna stop unless we do it as as a collective group. Uh, as we say, when when that standard is instilled at home and that same standard is taken up by when the kids go to school. And then when the kids go leave home or leave school and they go into community, the community has that same standard. And that same standard is being taught in the pulpit as well.
0: Yeah, we was talking. Um, I had a um, he was a principal of a school. and His thing was uh, I don't know if you know, like what black kids. So say the kid's like seven, eight years old. So the teacher is like, "Oh, James is horse playing in school." So that's when he's seventh, third, second grade. But then when he gets to the sixth grade, that horse playing, the teacher is now saying, "Oh, he's assaulting the teachers. He's a, he's assaulting." And we like hold up, you know. So it's like they keep making the uh, black kids like they kind of turn them to criminals. Because even they're doing the same thing with my son. Like I know we know how our son is at home, but then when he gets to school, the teacher is like, "Oh, he's doing this, 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 and making it worse than he is." Like he just likes to have fun and like to play around. But the, but the, the teacher is making him like she's putting extras on it, like he's a criminal or something. So how can I guess black? parents can back that a little bit.
1: Well, you know, one of our our key um, departments at the San Diego County Office of Education is equity. Mm. And trying to really, our our superintendent, Dr. Paul Gothel, is huge on equity. He uh, was the superintendent at one time of Linwood, Mm. school district in Linwood, California. So he understands the culture. He understands uh, what's lacking. And so he is big on that. And so those kind of things that you just mentioned, still happening, where there's a, uh, a, a certain segment of people that don't understand that, or in some cases they do understand it and they do it on purpose. Others are doing it from a lack of knowledge. One of the things I like to talk about as a motivational speaker, I love to talk about the role of the father in the home. But second to that, I like to talk about racial issues. And I talk about racism and prejudice uh, because th- it affects everybody. And uh, there's a lot of people that still have that inside them, be it black, be it white, Hispanic, Asian. We all have parts in, in, in this and we all do things. Uh, it's just that for you know, for decades, for, for centuries, whatever, it seems like the, the African-American or the black population was the, uh, the main victim of it. But make no mistake, uh, in the African American population, we have those who are, are racist as well, and so we have to own that as well. And so, from a standard standpoint, yeah, you're right. They're not being treated from an equity standpoint, and in certain situations. And I, you know, I, I was I benefited from racism, prejudice, or the equity piece from a negative standpoint and also a positive standpoint. I benefited from both both sides. As a matter of fact, uh, I saw it firsthand when I got to U.S. I got to the Chargers, for example, and as a free agent, there were nine free agent wide receivers. I think it was that tried off with that team, including myself. And uh, as I recall, there was like six African Americans of the nine. Three of them were white. So yeah, of the nine, and you could tell right from the get-go at that time you're talking about 1985 you can tell at that time those white guys they didn't have a chance of making the team before they even set their foot on the field they didn't have a chance to make the team because they were white because at that time you didn't see a lot of white wide receivers in the NFL yes steve large yeah, is one of the top <laughs> receivers ever steve. in my mind uh but then yeah funny you brought steve large up yes yeah, Jerry Rice, Steve Largent, Wes Chandler are the best three receivers I've ever seen. But anyway, going back to that, they didn't have a chance to make the team. I had a better chance to make the team because, first of all, I came from a major college, USC, and second of all, I'm black.
0: Hmm.
1: And uh, those guys didn't know it. Those white guys didn't know. I can see the the writing on the wall that they're not going to have a chance to make it because of the skin color. Now, the flip side of that is at that time, if there was a a black quarterback in that same uh, camp, he wouldn't have a chance to make a team either simply because he was black. Yeah, like during, one, yeah, during at, that, at that time in 1985. Yeah. Things have changed. So I, I want to make sure that we are, are clear that, yes, African-Americans have been um, subject to racism more prevalent over decades, still, still to this day, but this happened in other sectors as well. And so we all collectively have to call it out. I'm calling it out like you just said. Now wait a minute. I I see this kid over here doing the same thing that my son is doing. My the skin colors are different, but the consequences are different as well. My son is, is it seems like he's being more victimized because if he's black versus this kid who's white. And so yeah, we have to call that out as well. But we need to be real and that it happens in all sectors. I, without a doubt, man, I, I want to, I love this topic because you get, let me give an example we talk about, um, because, you know, in education, I, I'm i the liaison to police officers. So uh, that's one of the major things I do. I work with all the police officers in San Diego County. And I used to work be that liaison officer uh, to law enforcement when I was here in Oceanside and Camp Pendleton. So I saw, for example, here in Oceanside, we're so diverse. Uh, diversity is huge here in Oceanside. And we were always talking about that from a law enforcement standpoint. Man, some of the best police officers I've ever met, uh, I met here in Oceanside. Mm. As a matter of fact, if you, you, you're, talking about, you're talking about a guy who, who grew up in Compton. And my experience with law enforcement is totally different than what a lot of people think. I've always had a a tremendous, I don't know why, a tremendous relationship with police officers. Now I've had some situations happen um, before that wasn't right, but my buddy who grew up here in Oceanside, his relationship with law enforcement is totally different than my relationship, his experience. His is very negative, but now he he works very close with law law enforcement now, but his experience growing up was different. So I, I bring that up to say this, if you get a guy, for example, who was raised in Mississippi, it's a white guy raised in Mississippi, and so for 18 years he's raised in Mississippi, and then he goes off to college. He comes to college here in Ocean and and San Diego, very diverse, more, much more diverse than Mississippi. Four years of, of um, college, and then he decides, you know what? I'm going to go into uh, law enforcement. So he goes to law enforcement. He goes to uh, uh, the camp, or what do they call it? Um, where he's going to get trained for six months, goes to the academy for six months. Then after the academy for six months, he goes for his training office for another six months. So now he's out after a year. He has his own vehicle. He's in the car by himself, and he's driving down the street of LA, for example, or San Diego. And he's got a call that there are some suspicious characters in a car. He sees a group of African American and Hispanics in his car. He's gonna pull that car over. Once he pulls that car over and he starts walking and approaching that car, what experiences is going to grow up, gonna to, going to win out at that time? Is it going to be those 18 years of him growing up in, a, in Mississippi? Is it gonna be the are the four years here being in the diverse area in, in college in San Diego? Or is it gonna be that year in the academy that he had in his training officer? What's gonna end up going being the, the the dominant part and how he's going to approach that car with those African American kids and Hispanic kids in that car. Well, we mm-hmm. would like we would like to think that all that experience is going to, going to grow up, but I'm, uh, that eighteen years is very strong to get out get out of you.
0: Yeah, you just reminded me when you was talking. You reminded me about uh, you remember Steve Foley? Yep. Yeah, you just reminded me about that while you was talking about. Um all this stuff. I remember he got shot out here.
1: Yeah, so, you know, it, we from race relations, uh, we are making progress, but then we'll take a step back. If we make more progress, we'll take a step back. So uh, that's because everybody's not, not hadn't bought into it. And we, we're we going to, and everybody's not going to buy into it, but that's fine. I just need to be able to say, Tim Ware is going to do his part. Chris you're going to do your part. This person over there is going to do their part. And we all together can overcome um, that negative piece that's out there with that se- certain segment in our society, which is still out there.
0: Man, we, we're about to wrap it up soon, but I wanted to hit on this topic too. Uh, you was talking about the role of men in the household. Right. So what is that role to you?
1: Well, you know, growing up, and as I mentioned earlier, I grew up as a, a single mom, a single parent. And all my my four buddies that I hung out with They all had both their parents in the the home, which was kind of an anomaly back in during that time in the African-American culture. And it's even worse now. But I got a chance to see how both parents function in a functional uh, relationship and and and, 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 uh, in an environment in a marriage. And I fell in love with it. I fell in love with two parents. I fell in love with marriage. God's institution, and so as I was growing up, and I I I start as I got older, I started to really realize how much I was missing from my dad. My dad was killed when I was six, and um, so I, as I grew up, I started saying to myself, you know what? When I become a dad, there's certain things my kids are not going to have to worry about. There's certain things that we're going to instill in my kids, and so I believe. Right now, one of the biggest issues we have in our society that's the scourge of our society is absentee fathers. Not to downgrade the role of the mom in the home, which is dynamic and should be dynamic, but never estimate the role of a father in the home as well. And uh, we have fathers that that are missing in action because they're not in the home, but we also have fathers that are missing in action who are in the home. Mm. You know, they can tell you everything about the Chargers stats and the Raiders stats and the football season, but they can't tell you one of the kids' teacher's names. Uh, uh, there's, there's a role, there's a standard that the, the, the dad is there, first of all, to lay down that foundation of respect. Because for me, uh, my kids knew, don't, don't disrespect my queen, Don't don't disrespect. Don't. If I ever start referring to mom as as my wife, Houston, we have a problem because you remember she was my wife before she was your mom. Mm. So I make sure I made sure that the standard was, first of all, mom is mom and there's respect there. How you talk, how you even look at her Mm. and definitely how you look at me as well. But there's things that, that the role in the, in the house is is the warrior, is the protector, is the lover. You know, one thing I, I I I grew up with is my mom always telling us every night that she loves us, and my wife and I made sure we instilled that in our kids that we verbally told them every day that we love them. It wasn't oh you know how I feel about you. It was no we love you even to this day. And so you know we had those dad leading leading those those daily devotions with the kids and 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 my my wife in the morning and so those things carried up the discussions changed as they got older but they were always based on biblical principles so that role of the house of the man is to be the priest of the home doesn't mean that he has to know everything that's everything about the Bible but he is the priest of the home he is the one taking the lead and standing up and saying yeah we're gonna go to church today or you know what we're gonna have church online today but we're going to do it together as a family. And so those things are missing in our society in certain segments. We need to get back to that. We need to get back to the dad being the leader in the home, but also the leader in the culture, okay, and, and, and taking, those, taking that initiative. My definition real quick as, a, as a, a definition of a man is he sets and demonstrates on a regular basis the godly standard in the home and in the culture. He rejects passivity and takes the lead in applying truth. The Bible is his sword and integrity is his shield. That is the definition of what I consider a real man. Um, you know, it's not, oh yeah, how much he can drink or how many women he can pull over here. No, that's nonsense. And so we need men to get back and being those role models and, and taking the lead and laying down the foundation for their kids and being, first of all, being, being present and involved in the home, but also in the culture.
0: All right. So I want to thank you for coming through politics and with me.
1: Chris, I thank you, man, for the opportunity to uh, to share what God has been putting on my heart and uh, kind of reminisce and go back in the days. Man, you brought a smile on my, my face. There's some people I need to call to reach out and say thank you to. And I thank you for, for, for that platform and that motivation. No doubt.
0: Uh, anything you want to lead the listeners with?
1: No, man, Um, I I said it, you know, it starts and ends with a a dynamic and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And we can go out and make a difference in this world, Uh, be a Christian or non-believers. But we all have a responsibility out there. And uh, let's let's all come together, lock arms, different colors, different religions, different backgrounds Mm -hmm. but one purpose. And then how can they find you? Well, you can find me at timware81 at yahoo.com.
0: Oh, you ain't on Instagram? Or no, no,
1: no. I haven't gotten that. I, 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 I'm, I'm I'm lacking in that area.
0: You got to get on there. You probably got um, a lot of fans looking for you.
1: You probably do. You're, you're probably right. But timware81 at yahoo.com. Thank you again, Chris.